Kings, this is Sharana Reeves, and you are listening to These Three Things Podcast, a podcast for women where the conversation is about us, our relationships, and every area of our lives. This show is about unity, support, kindness, and keeping it 100% real. So we can rise up, move, we've got the victory, burn up Hey, queens, kings, and good people. I am Sharana Reeves. You are listening to These Three Things Podcast, and I appreciate you for joining me back for part two of Black Women and Stereotypes. Last episode, we focused on Mammy. We spent a whole episode on Mammy just because Mammy really required a full episode. I hope that many of you have had a chance to listen to that episode and give some thought as to the mammy role dating back from slavery time until current day, what we would consider mammy and see the evolution and how a lot of that stereotype has shaped black women in the black community and in more ways for the positive than for the negative. So I feel like we definitely had to pay homage to uh, mammy and not the stereotype mammy, but just the black mother, our ancestors, who did what they had to do so that many of us could do what we want to do today. I want to talk a little bit about the Simone Biles situation because I feel like that it has to be brought up. And I've had friends reach out to me. I had a good friend of mine reach out to me on Messenger and ask me the question of what I thought about Simone withdrawing from uh, some of her events in the Olympics. And Was it the right thing to do? Was it cowardly? And I really gave him a perspective on what I feel about black women or black people in general having the right to choose themselves first. Uh, I don't think that Simone Biles owes any of us anything. I don't think that any of us have worked a tenth as hard as that young woman has worked to uh, become the greatest gymnast of all times. Uh, She already has a plethora of gold medals and has probably trained most of her life for this Olympics. So for her to pull out citing mental health issues, I don't think that anybody really should judge that because when you train that hard for a moment, you only walk away from that moment when you're not in the best space to be in that moment. I think she has a right to protect everything that she's worked hard for her endorsements, her name, I'm, I can imagine with some of the haters that have come out against Simone, had she not uh, withdrew and tried to perform and went out and flopped, all the headlines would talk about how she flopped at the 2020 Olympics. So I think that she absolutely has a right to protect herself and, and, and her space mentally. And I think that anybody who has an issue with that, because it's the Olympics, needs to understand that You don't own Simone Biles. She is a free woman. America does not own her. And we in the black community also need to remember to give grace to those who are taking what they need in the time that they need it. Their time is not our time. So we have to respect what a person may need. And again, who's worked harder for this moment than her? 
I mean, the air in which Simone Biles is functioning in is rare air. I can only imagine that it's probably lonely where she's existing because who else has done what she's done? When we consider the greats of any sport that has accomplished things that nobody else can really brag about, whether it be football, basketball, tennis, golf, those people have accomplished things that no one else can brag about and say that they've done. We've had people that have done that. Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, we can probably throw LeBron James in that mix. We can throw Venus and Serena, which this situation reminds me so much of when Venus and Serena were in their heyday and they would would withdraw from tournaments because of an injury, it would always be made to appear that they just weren't strong enough or they should have just powered through. It was never received with, oh, she's injured, she can't play, and respectfully accepted. It was always as if she should have done more. She should be able to power through, almost not even seeing us black women as human or vulnerable. Big ups to Simone Biles. Big ups to Naomi Osaka. Big ups to any woman who is taking what you need when you need it, uh, whether it be your mental health, whether it be your physical health, whatever it is, because you don't owe anybody anything in this life except to be true to yourself. So big ups to them, big kudos to them. I did want to address that and say something about it because I do think that we need to realize that we don't own people and people don't owe us anything. This episode, we're going to focus on Angry Black Woman, Sapphire, which are kind of following in the same vein uh, of stereotypes. And then we're also going to focus on Strong Black Woman and Jezebel. I'm super excited because on Thursday, all four of us from this episode Myself, Judy, Ebony, and Tamika will all be on Instagram doing a live. Specifically, we're going to talk about all of these stereotypes that are going to be in this episode, but specifically we want to talk about the Jezebel episode. And I've invited a few male friends to join us on the live because I think it's a conversation that we really need to have in the black community about how our men see us and black women being able to own their sexuality without being seen as a Jezebel. So let's get into it, Black Women and Stereotypes, Part 2, with the Queens of Houston, Judy, Ebony, Tamika, and Executive Coach, Dr. Patricia Thompson. Enjoy. For almost a century, Scarrett Bennett Center's historic Gothic campus has been a choice location for dream weddings in Nashville. Consistently rated one of Music City's best places to get married by The Knot, Wedding Wire, and Toast of Nashville, Scarrett Bennett Center offers three timeless venues for your wedding, a 20-person elopement chapel, a 300-person wedding chapel, and a breathtaking garden. From rehearsal to reception, Scarrett Bennett Center is ready to help you create the intimate, historic wedding of your dreams. Visit our website at scarrettbennett.org forward slash weddings for more information. So let's move on and talk about the angry black woman Mm. and how she shows up. Mm -hmm. And I want to give a definition to something in my research that I read. And I knew this conversation was going to be emotional as we as we dive into talking about certain things and just our experiences, because, you know, some of this stuff has shaped us and it has affected us in a lot of ways. An angry black woman is characterized as a black woman as bad tempered, hostile and overly aggressive. We hear the angry black woman term a lot in corporate America, in workplaces, where 
we just express how we feel about something and we're angry. So Dr. Patricia, we discussed angry black woman and Sapphire are kind of like in the same vein, if you will, uh, having uh-huh. some of the same characteristics. Can you give uh, a definition of, of angry black woman and then also to Sapphire? Yeah, well, I think they're, they're very similar. I mean, I think we're all familiar with the angry black woman stereotype, which is essentially that we're walking around irritable, just waiting to be offended and have like hair trigger kind of reactions to things and get in your face and, you know, overly emotional and, you know, kind of tough and hostile. And um, Sapphire is very similar. Uh, There was actually a character named Sapphire on the Amos and Andy show Mm -hmm. way, way back. Yes. And Black women were seen as being very hostile and nagging and even like contemptuous of black men. And so, you know, it's really the black woman is being very emasculating and loud and overly aggressive and always really negative. Mm. My first question that I wanted, I wanted you guys' feedback on was, do we own this stereotype? Do we own the angry black woman? So I would say that, um, from a very young age, I had a chip on my shoulder. And um, and it just grew bigger, you know? It's, um, every time I attempted something that I believed, you know, no one wanted me to do, it grew bigger. Yeah. I, you know, I got into coaching and it traditionally wasn't black when I got into it and the chip grew bigger. And I didn't realize until, you know, a few years ago, um, doing some personal development that I probably was angry. Now, I didn't get to act out on it because I wouldn't have had a job. Right. But internally, I woke up a little bit charged and, um, um, you know, sometimes more aggressive than where I thought I was being assertive, a little aggressive. And, yeah, I, I don't think it was outward because I couldn't afford to. Um, and and on that point, when they say that, I'm like, you know what? If we're truly angry, we we don't own much. We really can't afford to be as angry as we could be and should be, to, right. be, Correct. to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. I, yeah. I think it has a lot to do, though, with um, you build up defense mechanisms, mm-hmm. right? So if you know that people kind of see you a certain way or if you know you're going to have a certain experience, your first you know, response is to put up these walls and, um, you know, you, you're going to get them before they get you. Or, so I think it's just, uh, sometimes that's, I don't think we as overall own it, but there are some women that are just like, they just are snappy and they're going to be aggressive. Um, so yeah, I think it, it, it exists. Yeah. I say I own a lot of that, you know, I have a, Certain things you just ain't going to do. Mm-hmm. Personality. <laughs> but you're guarded. You, I, If you I look am. at your experience and what you've gone through, yeah. you, it's like. And off, off the, like, off the top, I'm like, okay. Yeah. I saw, don't come here with that. Cause mm-hmm. this, this different over here. Yeah. I'm about all that. Yeah. I try to scale that back as I get older. Cause when, Tamika, know, when we first did like a, when she hired me on her staff and we had a parent meeting and the lady was insane crazy and she wanted to have a meeting about another kid it had nothing to do with her kid her kid had 
literally had a concussion, been out almost half the season. But she was trying to check me about another kid. And I told Tamika, I was like, I shouldn't talk in these meetings. <laughs> I ain't, uh, I don't have it all like that. You know, I don't have that much restraints. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when I, I have a white woman threatening me. I oughta see that. I'm like, now wait a minute, you did that to my ancestors. And I, I didn't even see it. Exactly. But I feel like I'm carrying it. Yes. Okay, so yes, that tone, I'm gonna need you to bring that, bring that down. Don't point your finger at me. You know, and Meek is like, I got it under the table. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. Let me sit back. Yeah. Because it's I, I can feel the heat in my chest. Dr. Patricia, why do you believe the angry black woman stereotype was chosen by whites to describe us when we express ourselves? You know, I think basically it deflects. And so instead of focusing on the fact that someone has a right to be angry, you're able to dismiss them and all that they're saying by making it seem as though they're being irrational or unreasonable. So really, I think it's a way to silence people. And I don't know, um, recently there was a video that was viral and it was a woman in a Victoria's Secret store. Um, and did you see that video? And there was a white woman who was kind of yes. going crazy and having an attack. Yes. And, and the woman was filming her and stayed away and had every right to film her. While this woman, the white woman was, you know, basically having a tantrum. And there were so many people there who were basically telling the black woman to leave her alone. And the black woman was being perfectly calm and measured in everything that she was saying, but yet was still seen as the one who was threatening or yes. the instigator. Yes. And, and, you know, but was rightfully mad because I believe the woman had tried to, like, get in her face or touch her or something like that. Right. And so really, it's a way to silence us and to dismiss our concerns. Mm. Had I had an experience with Dr. Patricia earlier in my career and in my life, just as a black woman, not even talking about in the workplace, just as a black woman, I would have learned to be able to speak up sooner because I think what I found made me angry Boy. is I done took a lot of stuff. Mm. I done yep. took a lot of stuff. Like you said that to me and I just ignored it because I'm going to try to be professional in here today. Yep. Oh, well, I saw what you did and how you did that for her, but you didn't do that for me. But I'm not even going to say anything because you know what? I'm still going to get that accomplished anyway. And it's going to be better than hers because you you helped her. It's always a point to prove. Mm -hmm. yes. It's always a, oh, you tried to stop me. Oh, let me show you yeah, how you're I, not going to stop me. Okay. But see, over time. That starts to get in, get in your system. It's like all the trauma that we're, we're experiencing watching people mm -hmm. get killed today. We, 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 we suppress it and go to work and act like everything's cool. We just suppress it. But at moments when I hear a white person say something to me in a tone that I don't like. Angry black woman just showed up because angry black woman has already been in there, mm -hmm. but she's just suppressed a lot of things because she didn't speak up. What I've learned from Dr. Patricia through emotional intelligence is I got to call that thing a thing when you do it, when I'm calm, mm -hmm. when it happened the first mm -hmm. time, because mm -hmm. I'm not going to carry that with me all day long and end up being angry and fire off at somebody who didn't really deserve all that I just gave them right. because I didn't address things along the way. Build up that resentment. Yes, yeah. and I feel like that that is something that we have got to give ourselves the freedom to do and stop making white people comfortable. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? We, yeah. we, we, we try so hard to make them comfortable to the demise point. of ourselves, Correct. and then we're angry because you've taken, we've taken on so much, and I'm going to speak for myself, I've taken on so much. 
I've just internalized so much. Yeah. I've ignored and looked away from so much that now, you know, when you finally get me in that moment, yeah. you done got me. Yeah, when it's built up and it built up and it built up till you just can't take it yes. no more. And we always um, teach people how to treat us. Yes. Right. And once when we keep saying to them, like, it's okay through our actions, then they're going to keep doing it that yeah. way. So, yeah. yeah. So that's that's accountability piece. Mm-hmm. And that's where we got to get to. Yes. So, and we, which is why we can own it. Right. I can see sometimes when, mm-hmm. you know, I probably did come off angry. Um that accountability piece is understanding that we aren't as vulnerable as we need to be. Yeah. We don't communicate well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got to own, we got to have some responsibility in, yes, in communicating right. that so we can. Yeah, I, I agree that part. We, we haven't communicated well, but we can communicate right. well. Yes. So it's about the self-development, right? right? It could be different ways to mm-hmm. handle a situation. Like I could talk calmly. We can talk like adults, right? We don't need to always be popping off right. to get our uh, point across. Right. We don't have to come from it, come to it from an angry place, mm-hmm. right? Right. Because a lot of times, when you're having this type of uh, disagreement or some tension with somebody else, they're coming from a very different perspective. So a lot of times, it's just a misunderstanding, mm-hmm. and so there are ways to kind of get another person to where you are and help them understand what you're seeing and you can understand what they're seeing. And when you get to that point, you can now start to resolve some of yes. those issues. Yeah. Yeah. But if you just go in and start accusing people and yeah. just assuming what they're trying to yes. do, then that's how you get nothing done. And you're just looking like an angry person. I think women in general expressing emotion is, you know, a tricky territory. And then it's even, you know, 10 times that for the black woman. And so I do think learning how to assert yourself earlier on in the process is really important. So Mm. to speak up about things, but do so in a way, I guess, that others can hear. And and I mean, I think that's just general, better communication. Um, But then I also think, you know, finding ways to manage your own emotions, whether it's talking about it with people, you know, outside of work or taking care of yourself, you know, so that you're able to manage your stress in a way that it's not eating away at you. Mm -hmm. But I also think like being able to have dialogue about it when you pick your battles is really important. And, you know, the one, I think, silver lining based on last year is that organizations are at least more aware that they have to listen. They might not know how to listen. They Mm -hmm. might be listening begrudgingly sometimes, but I think at least it's more out in the open that we have to be um, talking about diversity. And so I think just as in the case in, you know, some other fields like where you said black women are, you know, much more in the coaching realm. I think we have more of a voice now because we've been fighting so much for it. And so I think we have to use it, but, you know, use it in a way that's going to be constructive and, and get us what we want. Yeah. I'll say that in the workplace for me, um, I've again been this person to rebel or to, I I was holding this whole weight. Like I saw how we were being viewed and I wanted to be the exact opposite. I wanted to represent us in the best way. So in the workplace, because of this angry black woman stereotype, I would be very quiet. 
I am doing the exact opposite because when I see things that are unfair and like that, like I, it, it was hard for me to speak up about it because mm-hmm. again, we're trying to make them feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And if I say things are the wrong way, then we're going to be viewed again as that right. black, that angry black right. woman. And so it's like, I can't keep, helping to perpetuate that right. stereotype right. and so now i become silent mm-hmm. and i'm still allowing mistreatment right you know right. so it's like how do we we balance that yeah. because we know that we can own some part of this angry thing and we want to move forward with our interactions with each other and i work with young people and mm-hmm. my work is geared toward female minority coaches and athletes and i heard this some years ago and an approach this guy said you know we should take with people that have dealt with trauma and instead of a kid or a young lady acting out we saying you know what's wrong with you Mm -hmm. instead of what happened to you you? yeah what happened is a whole different question for real it it really disarms you yes you you know you approach a sister and she is disgruntled for no reason or a young lady and they're not responding well to you and uh, and I've encountered that where I'm like I'm here for you, like mm, young lady. Yeah. I'm I'm yeah. here for you. I see you. You see me. But they didn't feel like I saw them. Mm-hmm. But I can disarm this anger. What happened to you? Yeah, I I, I want to add to that point. Just that uh, we need to find better ways to heal mm-hmm. from these traumas. Yeah. Then we can start interacting with each other without bringing the baggage in there. And so I've always, um, again, seen these things and I've always like started to read books on how do we heal from these traumas and, you know, how do we have better relationships? I even read a book by Gary Zuzov called Spiritual Partnerships. Mm -hmm. And that's just not with an intimate partner. That's with anybody, a friend, a coworker and everything. But we should be having this, um, this goal to help each other grow Mm. spiritually, Mm. you know, and I want to uplift and support and encourage, you know, and so how do we go about doing that? You know, we, we need to hold each other accountable. We need to like listen to each other. We need to have compassion for each other, you know? So can we kind of grab those tools so that we can start having better relationships? Because I guarantee you, we haven't seen it. We haven't had much of that as a, we haven't had much of that model to us. You know what I'm learning as since I've started these three things podcast is that first we have to realize that we have been traumatized. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Acknowledge you that. have to acknowledge that first. And yeah. we don't, cause we've lived this way for so long. Right. We don't know we've been traumatized. It's, it's the you norm. think you would know trauma when you saw it. Right. Yeah. There's no way I'm, yeah. I've dealt, no, I know trauma when I see yeah. it. Right. You don't think, no, I know trauma when I see it. Yeah. I nah, I could tell something happened, right. happened to her. No, yeah. something happened to you. You yeah. know, there's an ex- yes. there was an experience you had. You're not acting like this for a reason. Yes. It, like for no reason. Right. Do you feel that we as black women own a bit of the sapphire stereotype? In what way? In emasculating men is the is the first one that comes to mind. Um I don't no, like I think the thing about every stereotype mm-hmm. There's is some... it generalizes. Mm. 
Well, I think it also generalizes, right? So yeah. there probably are some black women who do, but there are plenty of black women who don't. And the thing about a stereotype is it paints everyone with the exact same brush mm-hmm. and doesn't allow for individual differences. And it also makes it so that, you know, you could do something and, you know, someone will paint it as the brush of you're emasculating when maybe you're, again, rightfully standing up for yourself. So I think any stereotype that's a generalization, I have an issue with. Mm. The Sapphire character from the 1800s through the mid 1900s, popularity portrayed black women as sassy, emasculating and domineering. Mm. It depicted African-American women as aggressive, loud and angry in direct violation of social norms. Mm. Uh, When it speaks about the time period, now that I think about it, um, especially as it relates to the mid 1900s, because our men were angry historically and emasculated just emasculated as a process of slavery we probably you know picked up some yeah we had to some of that we had to stand up yeah Yeah, i think that evolved even from the angry black woman um stereotype where you're kind of tired of things and people are underappreciating you so now i gotta stand up and i gotta you know Speak up. Yeah, speak up. And we check this loud girl all the time, right? You're in a restaurant. You got a group of friends. Mm -hmm. White girls can, I'm talking about, talk through the roof. But we'll tell her. Nobody even thinks about saying No, don't notice it. But if you hear a sister, you see a group of, you're like, oh, shit. And they go perpetuating the stereotype. Or within your friend group, you're like, girl, you're talking loud. Right. Yeah. And you feel, I feel uncomfortable with it sometimes. I'm like, oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are people but looking you, at as us? I start getting older? I'm like, fuck that. Mm-hmm. We gonna enjoy ourselves. Like I'm they tired enjoy of themselves. putting limits on. Exactly. Now, I'm uh, not looking at them. You know, even with our kids, let's say that. Oh, you sh- 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 be quiet. Yeah. Yes, be quiet all day because we were to be seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. Stand over there like, and a I did the opposite. Why with my are kids. you? Why are you talking? I don't. I want you to be heard. Yeah. Your voice is Run free. Run on. Yeah. See, I didn't. You know? So that's exactly what I was saying that I was kind of fighting. Mm -hmm. I never felt like my voice was important, you Mm -hmm. know, because I always got that when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Like, just do what I say or just respect your elders. And it was kind of like, oh, those got everything figured out. I don't have to think about anything. Mm -hmm. I don't have to contribute or anything. Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't need to speak up. Yeah. I was the opposite. My mother allowed us to speak very freely. I want to hear what you think. Mm -mm. I want to hear how you feel. Because, see, we lived in a home where it was chaos with my dad. And so she didn't take us to therapy, but we had, like, sessions of therapy within our family. We would go to Denny's. And we'd talk about, how do you feel about that? What what happened? And in that, we got a voice, which my aunts hated about us. Because you couldn't tell us what to do without a question of, Why? Mm-hmm. Why you want me to do that? Yeah. Well, my mama said, "There's such power in that. that." You know, and so it became like, you know, Judy kids. Gonna, by the way, my mother's name is Judy. Um, <laughs> you know, Judy kids gonna speak their mind. Even to this day, I have a cousin who, it would be the epitome of a strong black woman. I'm talking about Joe, and we, you know, everybody kind of dumbed down to that. Like, oh, she's the except for when we step in the room. It's like, oh, mm. Judy Kid's going to handle that. Don't worry about it. Oh, you know, oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I was lawyerly when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had a, a what and a why and and uh my grandmother allowed it and she was she was old school mm. and my I would see my aunts burning a hole in my head that she hadn't slapped me for asking her. Right you know, why, and oh, this is what I feel, and voice in my opinion, Granny, you ought to not put up with this. I, w- I wouldn't put up with this. If I <laughs> and they looking like, she doing listening to a 12-year-old. Um, and I remember being pretty aware and intuitive that this don't happen everywhere. My grandmother, in, but she saw something in me. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been suppressed, but I'm not going to let you be. But, you know, sometimes she'd be like, Tamika, please, right. stop yeah. talking. You don't have an opinion in this, but for the most part, it was, it was free reign because she wanted me to have an opinion, have a thought. What do you think? Yes. And uh, when I, I got to I college, that. and I met so many people that couldn't formulate a thought. Mm-hmm. You know, I built up so much resentment towards my mom once I realized that this had been affecting me in my own life. Like mm-hmm. that, I would go to work and couldn't speak up. I couldn't do like I would go in meetings and just get really quiet because I didn't think that my voice was something to be heard Mm -hmm. and I couldn't question a lot of stuff. And so me and my mom had this big fallout, like maybe three years ago because that just triggered me. She, Mm. she said something to me like, just do what I say. And I was like, I'm asking her, I'm like, we're uh, fighting about putting fish in the sink versus the refrigerator. It was the smallest thing, but it just turned into this big thing. I just started saying hurtful things to her because I was going back to when I was a child. And I felt like because I was trained that way, it took away my curiosity to a point where I stopped asking questions, you know. So I had to fight to start getting back my curiosity. And then when she, I felt like in that moment, she was trying to bring me back there. You know, I'm not trying to go back there. If if I'm asking you a question, I just, I'm just trying to sort it out. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to you. And she saw me asking questions as disrespect. That's that's, that's what we were raised. Yeah, that's exactly how we were raised. The Sapphire has been the prominent one in my life in terms of the immediate, um, models that I saw from my mom and her sisters yeah. and how they treat their husbands and I'm not going to let her listen to this podcast but, <laughs> <laughs> but I really do feel like that's how they treat they mm-hmm. treated their men and some of them have kind of grown to realize that they need to respect their men a little better yeah but for the most part you they started getting this sense of um expectation from them in and that they they needed to do things for them and they don't have to really do things for them they they, like my aunt would literally come to thanksgiving and her husband had just come in the house and um she was like just fix me a plate and he was like you you know kind of like you've been sitting here this whole time why don't you get a plate she was like why are you looking at it like that he just made the plate or whatever it was no big deal Mm -hmm. And you kept know? it going. Yeah. So in closing, do we own Sapphire? I think we do have, I yeah. think we do own Sapphire because out of need sometimes, mm-hmm. because of anger sometimes. Um, yeah, I think we own Sapphire in certain ways. And just in closing, I want to mention a couple of people that uh, we can look at and see on television that's displayed as the Sapphire and all of those uh, adjectives that were used to uh, describe that. Pam. On Martin, mm-hmm. definitely. Pam is definitely a sapphire. Mm-hmm. 
smart martin you know we know uh tyler perry on my deal my is a sapphire yeah my is also mammy but she's also sapphire and also angry my is a little bit of everybody <laughs> she's a little bit of everybody he did that and as silly as some people think the character is it's super intentional oh yeah you know and Absolutely. I, all of them aren't good movies to me um but now that i think about this he really is all of them you are listening to these three things podcast black women and stereotypes part two with the queens of houston judy ebony and tamika with executive coach dr patricia thompson we'll be right back do you need to get a handle on your stress need to get better control of your emotions Join the 19,000 plus students who have taken Dr. Patricia Thompson's 21-day crash course in emotional intelligence. You'll learn practical techniques that will help you to manage your emotions, improve your relationships, and get ahead in your career, all in the comfort of your own home. Learn more at her website, silverliningpsychology.com, on the self-study page. Again, that's silverliningpsychology.com. Hey, we're back. This is Sharonna Reeves. I'm with the Queens of Houston. We're talking black women and stereotypes, and we are moving now to the strong black woman. Dr. P, can you give us a definition of this stereotype? Yeah. So as the name suggests, it depicts a black woman as being strong, you know, able to handle all things. Uh, she doesn't have any fears or insecurities. She's always emotionally settled. Um, you know, they're responsible for keeping their families together and they do it without needing any help. And so it's really about self-reliance, mm-hmm. um, not having any emotions or not being vulnerable. Um, and that's, I think, really central. And then also being a caretaker. Mm-hmm. What y'all think about that definition? I think that's one that we wear on our chest mm-hmm. daily. You know, I'm strong. Mm-hmm. You know, I can do it. And we don't see the... You know, the downside on that oh, because blind, major blind spots. <laughs> Listen, I was in a relationship when I was younger and a, and the guy said, I, I was, you know, we were breaking up and I cried like, oh, yeah. I, I, and he looked at me, he said, like, Judy can cry. And I thought to myself, what do you mean? I'm a human being. I cry At most, I'm a woman. But I realized because I was viewed so strong, he thought I was so disconnected with my emotions. Mm-hmm. Because that's what comes with it. You don't have feelings. I was disconnected with my feelings. Mm. Talk about it. Seriously. Like, I I grew up uh, with two brothers, too. And they were taught not to have emotions. Mm. So I, you know, also adopted that because my younger brother, my older brother would laugh at me when I would, like, express emotions or cry, you know. Mm -hmm. And I can remember that. So I would always have to, like, put up this, this front that I didn't have that emotion and to a point where I just kind of stopped expressing emotion so when you probably see me I look emotionless right Right. um but that like I'm more recently starting to reconnect with those emotions but it's it's been a challenge and I just feel like you know as with this strong black woman stereotype I've been um carrying this this weight mm. of our ancestors uh, again of our people like having to uh feel like i need to represent us in a in a great way to a point where it's led me on a path that it doesn't feel super authentic to mm. me um yes i've 
accomplished a master's, a PhD in engineering, and people tend to look at my accolades and say, hey, she's accomplished something. Yeah. But I somewhat feel like me striving for that is kind of a distraction from what I'm supposed to really be here for. Yeah. And so I'm back to, I'm, I'm now trying to get back to, Hey, what are my passions? What am I wanting to do for myself? Cause I've ignored that so long. I can't even hear that voice. That's mm. interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's real though. Yeah. We've you know how many women who going to listen to what you just said mm. and be like, that's me, sis. Yeah. That's me. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to prove a point to everybody out here and then lost who I am. Right. You know, now you see, I'm smart. I got it. I can go here and I show y'all I can work and beat all of y'all, be better than all of y'all. Yeah. But what is my heart's desire, though? Right. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And you know my story. With, I do. With coaching. Um, and I'm coming to you because when you said blind spots, I was like, ooh, I want to hear more about, I want to hear what you want to, what you have to say about this whole strong black woman. But I also want to want you to elaborate on what you meant when you said, and it causes you to miss blind spots. It causes you to have blind spots. The angry black, I mean, the strong black woman stereotype. Um, and I know you all will agree. We joke that black women, we come bigger, built, mm-hmm. body, you know, yeah. we're from the South and we know we, you know, we, we come a little bigger and curvier and, um, it's because we put sometimes depending on your role in your family, mammying or whatever, you've put health on the back burner. Mm. Um, and, uh, blind spots is health, you know, whether it's physically, mm-hmm. mentally, you know, I looked, I was striving and striving and striving uh, and trying to win, you know, and looked up and, you know, had developed anxiety. I remember cracking the joke that, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if I had a stroke before 30 because I would, you know, we, you know, I'd open my email and I could feel my hands sweating and my heart rate increasing or we lose. And I know I didn't play a kid that everybody probably thought I should. And I know what's coming after that. And. I get, you know, you get that infamous, we need to meet and what are they talking about? And you just, you know, you're developing this thing, this feeling and whoa, this has a name. This is anxiety. Right. And so the blind spots are your health, whether it's mental um, or physical, and then your blind spots are settling. You realize in all you're trying to achieve and impress people where you are, you could actually be so much higher or doing something more serving that would serve yeah. you better. Mm-hmm. Um, you're like trying to be the best at your job or, you know, wanting to be seen as the best. And meanwhile, that your job ain't even God's plan for you. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. That's exactly what yeah. my Girl. Is. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, you're killing yourself for this and job. For what? And, you know, yeah. But also like within God's plan, you had to. Like there is nothing that yes, you, okay. Judy. Oh, yeah. that is <laughs> yes. Oh, okay, Judy. You know, yes, it is. yes, it's, it's, it's necessary because when you go back to whatever your purpose is, it it comes from whatever your struggle was. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, you got to be more relatable. You got to understand the process, and a lot of people do things. Uh, I know some people that uh, want to do podcasts and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. but it's for a show. It's not authentic. Do you feel that? We as black women own this stereotype uh, as a badge at times of our strength or the things that we get through. Yeah. I mean, I think on some levels it can seem like a positive to be fearless and able to hold it down and not needing anybody. Um, And so, you know, I don't hear it so much now, but I would hear people saying, you know, I'm a strong black woman. Mm -hmm. And I hear it sometimes still um, with a badge of honor. But I think that, 
you know, even though it might be something that a lot of us wanted to aspire to, I think it also romanticizes our struggles Mm -hmm. and it also creates unreasonable expectations about how we should be. And so I think, you know, if you think that's how you're supposed to be, then you might feel guilty or like you're weak if you can't handle everything without any problems. Or, you know, if you take time to take care of yourself, you might feel like you're being self-indulgent or, you know, not sacrificing enough. And I think it also disconnects us from people because if you're feeling like you can't be vulnerable and you can't ask for help, then that means you can't get the support that you need. Um, And in some ways, I think it makes you almost more robotic because you can't actually be in touch with all of the human emotions that we all experience. Right, right. And this one I find can be the most toxic to us individually. Uh Yeah, because like you said, I mean, we sometimes we feel like we can't be. We're so wrapped up in not being vulnerable, not showing weakness, feeling like we can handle everything that we won't ask for help. Sometimes we just will tough it out, you know, and um, I can see how this could be exhausting. Yeah, I think it's exhausting for people. I think it kind of disconnects you from yourself in some ways, because like I said, we all have all kinds of emotions that, you know, I think when you try and numb yourself from some of the negative ones you're not trying to feel, it also numbs you from maybe experiencing the really positive ones. And I think ultimately it just prevents you from being able to get help from others. And um, that's not a very comfortable space to be in, to feel like you have to be perfect. For me and how I identify with the strong black woman, um, I think that she appeared for me when I went through it. Well, well, she appeared for me really early, but what I remember the latest um, was when I went through a divorce. And... During that time, I felt like that my ex-husband was literally trying to destroy me because I chose to leave a bad marriage. And um, there were some things that happened, uh, areas where I definitely hurt him, areas where he definitely hurt me. But the situation had turned toxic to where for the sake of these kids and their future, we got to go our separate ways. And because I chose to do that, he chose to be like, then you're on your own. Now, I think I shared this with Tamika, but if you listen to, uh, if you've been listening to these three things, I talk about how I'm the first person in my family to get a divorce. My mom and dad have been married 52 years, almost 53. My older sister just and her husband just celebrated 29 years of marriage. My younger sister and her husband are on 27 years of marriage. Um, you pretty much die. You die out in my family. Aunts and uncles, married. You die out. That's how that's how it go here. And when you die out, we're going to replace you. And then you're going to die out before right. we go our separate ways. Mm-hmm. And so in that, I was put into a situation where I had to do something I'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. Because I don't have a reference to go to in my family to say, okay, I know you had to take care of so-and-so and then by yourself. Like, how did you do it? Mm-hmm. There was no reference for me. And so in me realizing that, oh... So you trying to destroy me. You feel like that if I'm not going to be with you, you're not going to help me and we're not going to make it. And I'm going to prove to you, mm. not only are we going to make it, but we're going to thrive. Mm. So I went into full like 
career mode Mm. to where I was grinding. I was getting it. I was working hard. I was, you know, making money to the point that I had elevated myself up to a university of Tennessee level, which in women's basketball, that's, you know, you there, you there outside of being a head coach somewhere at a major institution, you kind of have arrived in, 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 in an essence to be at that level. And, um, Underneath that strong black woman was a lot of anger. I had to, you know, get in therapy and really unpack. But I realized that I had really built up this strong black woman. Y'all not going to hurt me. Y'all not going to affect me. Because along the way and all that moving and elevating in the coaching world, it was a lot of potholes that had been set for me by people who were jealous, people who wanted to sabotage, people who wanted to do certain things to, you know, kind of dim your light because your light shined a little too bright for us, you know. You know how we do. And I'm not just talking about from black people. I'm talking about white people as well. And so <clears throat> I realized that through all of that, when I moved here, like we were talking about last night, was the first time with, you know, both kids away at school I move somewhere by myself and my life slows down. I'm no longer coaching. I don't have a point to prove now. They grown. I got them grown. They good kids. They great people. I like them. I love them. You know, go be excellent out here in this world. And then I was just left with Sharana. Mm. Sharana was exhausted. She was exhausted. She was exhausted mentally, emotionally, physically. I was on blood pressure pills, cholesterol pills. Like I was exhausted trying to a be you ebony prove to y'all that i'm gonna represent us different than what y'all used to seeing in us you know proving to you that i'm gonna uh do more than what you think i'm capable of doing i'm gonna prove to you ex-husband you didn't destroy me you made me i got all these points to prove right and low-key blind spot killing myself killing myself to the point that now, you know, I probably, that's probably still the reason why I don't really work because I am still recuperating from years of that, mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I'm not on medications no more, you know, but that I, I so agree when you said blind spots, cause health was the first thing that I thought of. And I wanted to see if that's what you were talking about Tamika, mm-hmm. because it's so true when we, when we're, out here perpetuating that strong black woman role we don't realize the damage we're doing to ourselves Mm -hmm. and we own that because society i think looks at us and expects us to be strong we don't get to black girls don't get to cry Mm -hmm. when we fall and cry who comes and picks us up all the time when you know something devastating happens to us who wraps their arms around us and holds us out here in society Ooh, that just made me think of why i got in that relationship when i was doing my phd I didn't feel like I could be vulnerable with others, like in my family. Um, everybody mm. had this perception of me of this strong black woman. Yeah. So who who am I gonna go and talk to when I'm feeling weak? Yeah. So I I get into a relationship with this Indian guy who was very like just a listener, and he made me feel comfortable with being vulnerable. So he was the one that saw me at my lowest points. Yeah. Right. This, you know, balling because things weren't just going the way that I it was just such a challenge for me. Yeah. And it's that's just interesting that I just realized that we're not allowed to be vulnerable. Yeah. Where in what space are we allowed to be vulnerable? Yeah. yeah. Tell me. And, uh, yeah. Like, I still have to 
find the strength and the energy to finish this thing when yeah. I have zero energy yeah. right now. So like if it wasn't for that relationship though, I don't think I would have even accomplished it though. But you know, you said something there. Um, and uh, I talk about this with coaches. Your lack of vulnerability causes you to make people believe you don't need their empathy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when I did, you know, yeah, I worked in some toxic, uh, racist environments, and but there were some great people I worked with that were white. They were there were I had some allies, but you know what? Because I was so set on making it look like this is not even touching me. It's not bothering. Mm-hmm. Because I would go cry in the bathroom, then go coach a whole game. And because I was so set on nobody seeing that this was affecting me, um, my initial reaction was, you know, God, I, you know, I hate everybody there. Nobody stood up for me. The reality is if I had been more vulnerable, mm. that I am not superwoman. If I had humanized being a coach, um, there's some people who I know would have been more allies, but to make it look like you had it. It looked like you was unfazed. And that was my goal. That's real. And, yeah. and that, but that's a blind spot. You know, you know, consider that appearing to be this strong, untouched person is causing the people around you. You're not giving anybody the opportunity right. to show you any empathy. Right. And it takes it's it makes it know, harder for you. You gotta yeah. really work on that. And so I, that's something that I'm working on a part of my personal development is, you know, people don't know. Yeah. They don't know unless you tell them, unless you show them. Um, and it goes back to our, we can communicate like a bug. We right. can, we can tell you what it is and what it ain't. We need to take our communication to another level and talk about mm. stuff that really matters. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. the question yeah. is really like every, no, we're naturally not seen as humans. We go at the base it. level, Ooh. at the base level, at the base level. If we start at the base level, it starts there. And mm-hmm. then we add and to we that add to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then it becomes difficult because it's also a, why do I need to prove to you that, that I'm, I'm a human? human? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, why do I need to prove to you that I have feelings? Why, mm. why wouldn't that hurt? Why it, wouldn't that that's hurt? Exhausting. It is. And so that's why yeah. you're like, well, if they feel that way, I'm not going to let you know I have feelings anyway, because then I'm looked at as weak. It's not even a, it's not even looked at as an emotion. Yeah. It's looked at as, oh, you're weak. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, you can't handle it. So, you know, I was, uh, I've, I think I've always told you, like, I have this fear of speaking in front of others, you know, just again, because of how we're viewed in society, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm afraid that if I say the wrong thing, I'm gonna be viewed as dumb and stupid or whatever. And so like I I was explaining to y'all before this that my heart started racing. And and I said, I was shocked. Yeah, she's, (laughs) and that that was a perfect example. Tamika's here shocked that I'm sitting here nervous, but why, why is it that I can't be nervous? You know, why is it that Ab doesn't have the emotions or feelings, you know? And so, I mean, I I just think that was a good point. You know what? And you you called, you called me out on it because you know why? Because, and we've talked about this and I shouldn't have said that because I know you intimately. We've said it's because you're this engineer, you work in corporate America, you speak well, you know, I hate when you say you're nervous about speaking because you speak well. Right. Yes. And um, because all of this, our assumption is that you're going to be really confident in this setting. Right. Like, what, what do you, you know, us. and you like, know what, 
yeah. and it has nothing to really do with, with it. us. We, we're we're going to talk about some intimate right. things here. That's a nervous right. you know, yeah. experience. And I have never heard you. S- I've been around you several times and you've been very quiet all of those times. Yeah. And so hearing you speak today, like I knew you were intelligent, right? But I think the layers of depth to it has been very impressive to me. I'm like, oh, okay. And <laughs> I know? think that's where the stereotypes start breaking down when you start to get to know right. people yes. on a deeper level, yes. right? And understand, I'm not going to, the the idea is to be vulnerable and to really share my story mm-hmm. and to get my voice out there now because I know that I do have something to share. Right. But I've been suppressing that mm-hmm. for so long. Yeah. And so that's why I even agreed to do the podcast Um I've been working on, you know, trying to yeah. be more comfortable in this way. Yeah. Well, let's pause right there and let's talk about what Judy just said for a second about what you, what just came out of your mouth about how you listening to her made you see her. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? On a deeper level. Okay. Black women. Because sometimes I just got to stop and I got to talk to us directly oh, right yeah. now. Forget the episode. Think about the power in that. Think about how many women we don't know what happened to you. Right. Yeah. But I done sized you up and right. I'm all wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. And now when I get in front of you and I talk to you, I see you shine, sister. I see your depth. I see your layers. I I like you. We owe it to each other to give each other that. Mm-hmm. And to engage in those type of relationships more. Because I'm sitting here and I, I, I tell y'all, my heart is so full because I'm so overflowed to be in the presence of y'all. Like just listening to y'all talk and what you're sharing and what you're saying and just the broad views of what y'all have and what you're bringing to the table. I feel like this episode is going to be so powerful for a lot of women to listen to and identify. And each person here, somebody is identifying with us. Like, yeah, that's me. Mm-hmm. I'm Judy. I'm Ebony. <laughs> you can sign me up for Ebony, right. you know, because I'm the overachiever. I'm going to show y'all how great we are. You know, I'm Tamika. Y'all don't think I came from nothing. I'm going to show y'all. Y'all don't think I'm smart. I'm going to show y'all. You know, mm-hmm. I got points to prove. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I got points to prove. So I just, I'm honored. I'm, I'm really honored. And I just had to pause and say that because I think that's real what you just said to her about like, you know, you always quiet. I, I just, I thought, you know, I didn't know you was, you know, yeah. all these layers to you. Yeah. yeah. So when I was in my PhD program, actually, I started getting stressed, like super stressed out to a point where I didn't think that I was going to like get through the whole program. Right. And so my advisor suggested that I go to counseling and at Texas A&M, they had a, a the ability to go to counseling for free. So I went on campus and I'm talking to the guy and he like, I'm just explaining, like, I'm just so, I don't think I could do it. And it's just, I, I don't, you know, I don't think I'm going to get through this. I just don't feel like I'm smart enough and things like that. And I'm, he's asking me about, you know, my history and what I've done. And I'm telling him, yeah, I got a master's in engineering at Prairie View. I mean, at, Texas A&M, and then I, I did a, a mechanical engineering bachelor's, and you know I've always made gr- good grades. And he was like, "I think you have imposter syndrome," and <laughs> so he started. He sent me to a group, and I'm like, "I, I don't." But, but what if 
I, I really am, you know, not smart enough. What if, <laughs> you know, because right. in my mind, I'm thinking I'm just fooling everybody. Like somebody's mm. going to figure it out that yes. I'm I'm not smart enough or whatever. So that mm. was the, the thing that was causing the most stress. And then I start realizing that a lot of women suffer with a lot of black women suffer yep. with uh, the imposter, syndrome. imposter yeah. syndrome. We're number one with it. Mm-hmm. We're number one. OK, so these stereotypes derive from somewhere. At mm-hmm. what at what point did the black woman stereotype, I mean the uh, the uh, strong black woman stereotype manifest itself? Yeah, um, you know I, that one I'm not as sure about. But if I were to kind of think logically, I mean I would think in some ways, if you've broken up the black family, and women are having to take on roles that maybe women of other cultures haven't had to take on. Then again, to kind of justify it, you kind of make them out to be superhuman and strong and like they can manage all these sorts of things. And, you know, they're somehow in some ways, it's almost like you're less feminine because you're taking on more of a quote unquote masculine role as a strong black woman. So, I mean, there could be an element of that to it. I think, you know, there were a lot of characters on TV that again, were held up as I think things for us to aspire to. Like I think Claire Huxtable comes to mind where, you know, she's successful, she's strong, she's fearless. She's got it all together. She has like what four kids and she's still like able to cook dinner and be a lawyer and all these kind of things. And that was someone that a lot of people grew up looking up to, but it's a completely unachievable standard. Yeah. In real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and and yeah. look good while you're doing it all the time. Like, come on. Strong black woman. We good with her. Okay, so let's go to the Jezebel now. Okay. And, and uh, a definition of Jezebel, the Jezebel stereotype. Well, so this is basically the black woman being depicted as being really seductive and overly sexualized with an insatiable kind of sexual appetite. And, you know, this contrast to the white woman who's seen as very pure and modest and, you know, respectable. And so the stereotype was really used to justify white men sexually exploiting enslaved black women, you know, kind of like she wanted it, essentially. How do we Mm -hmm. how do we as black women step out of the Jezebel stereotype and own our sexuality? Yeah, I mean, again, I think we've all received so many uh, conflicting and toxic beliefs about sexuality. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whether you think your sexuality is something to be ashamed of, or on the other side, you know, the main thing that you're valued for, I think it's just really important to start to get curious about your beliefs and where they came from and understanding where you feel shame and what serves you and what doesn't. And then I think it's also important to really think about what you would like to be. And, you know, sexuality is very personal. And so it's going to look different from one person to another. But I think, you know, one element for a lot of us is almost feeling like we don't deserve pleasure. And so, you know, we're there for other people. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether we're there for other people sexually, but not for ourselves, um, that is a problem. And so I think self-discovery is really important. And, you know, understanding that you're worthy and also giving yourself the space to figure out what's pleasurable to you. Um, But I think the main thing is just that it's a really individual journey. And so, you know, some people might want to be more public in expressing their sexuality. 
and others might be more comfortable doing it, you know, within your own home. Mm -hmm. But I think the key is just really getting in touch with the toxic messages that you might have internalized and really rooting them out and just allowing yourself to check in with yourself and listen to what you really want and then be okay with that and live authentically. So how do y'all feel? How do y'all feel about Jezebel when you looked her up, when you, when you, when you researched her, give me your thoughts. My first thought was red lipstick and red nail paint polish, right? The elders, you came in with red lipstick. Uh Uh-uh. That's Jezebel. You take that off. You can get any color, but. Mm -hmm. True. I remember hearing that. Same with polish. You wore a soft pink. Mm. I heard my grandmother tell one of my cousins one time to take that red lipstick off your lips look like a pussy. Uh, wow. To one of her granddaughters. <laughs> <laughs> that's my, my grandmother said crazy. <laughs> that's some shit to say to somebody. Yeah. I'm like, damn, granny, a pussy. <laughs> you know, I like that word pussy. I just like saying pussy I for some reason. You that hate pussy. Right. It's the opposite for me. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I feel like every time I say pussy, I get power. Like, I, you know, I like actually, I'm owning that yeah, word. I actually like saying the word a lot as well. <laughs> yeah. But when I say it, I feel like it's people more aggressive. Cringe. Yes, people, I do. People cringe. No, the way that you say it is not going to be the way that she says it. <laughs> Very yes. This okay, is how you say it, Judy? Pussy. Oh, yes. Yeah. I feel that though. Yeah. I feel that. We are so uncomfortable right now. Which is why, which is why I don't say it much for the reason that I can feel people going into their shells. Yeah. Like, wait, yeah. <laughs> where is this going? Yeah. So on Jezebel, yes. I think that uh, keep me on script. It's, it's again Clock. one of those things that. Um, if you're sexual, if you're into free, you're expressing yourself and everything. I think there's only, there's a, there's something you need to consider is, are you doing it out of anger? Mm-hmm. You know, is it a, uh, you know, you're angry and this mm-hmm. is my payback. This is my response to being anger, angry Rebel. from being, am I rebelling? Or have I just, you know, arrived at this naturally, this, I want to express myself. I've evolved to this. I've, have I evolved to mm-hmm. this or am I rebelling? And so are you using this to be accepted as well? Right. Okay. Yeah. And are you trying to gain some acceptance? So really, you know, well, I first of all, is it true? Mm-hmm. Is, is, is this description of Jezebel? Is that even true? Is that indicative to us as black women? I don't even no. want to accept the, the word. I, I don't accept this. Yeah. I don't accept I don't this definition this either. I don't no. own this one <laughs> at all. I don't know. I've gone to the school with black black people my whole life, and I do feel like, you know, and honestly, I kind of feel like I've been aware of these stereotypes my whole life, mm-hmm. and I've done, as we continue to talk, I just realized it's just been a pattern for me to rebel against it. Anything that yeah. I felt was a negative view on us, yeah. I'm going to do the opposite. And yeah. so I was not super conservative. You were super I'm super. I was super conservative my whole life, mm-hmm. you know, and like I said, I felt like the girls at my schools were very provocative and very sexual. Mm. And the, I, I honestly, I went to uh, when I was in, at Washington, I there was a group of interns that got together and we started deciding to be mentors for high school kids. And one of so we got a group of black kids together. We went to a restaurant 
And one of uh, the guys that sat down at the table, he, he, the first thing he says to the kids is, everybody's effing in college. Wow. And I'm like, you really want to lead with this? <laughs> and is that really your, that's really your experience because I disagree with that, but I really don't understand why you're trying to ingrain promote it. The, yeah, right. promote this yes. with these. We're trying to do something positive right. and this is the way that you want to influence yeah. them. Right. Like I was so angry at that. Yeah. And, but overall I felt like that is the consensus, but I don't feel like that's just to black people. I feel like you know, yeah, because I was about people. to say, I don't people. own this. I don't own this. This to me, I don't own Jezebel at yeah. all. Yeah. Jezebel is something white people placed on us uh, for some things that they saw in Africa and research that, you know, I'm not going to go that deep into it. If you want to study Jezebel listeners, go research and understand how this derivative, this stereotype came up for us. I don't own this because when you talk white about, I was yes. just about to go there. When yes. you talk about being in high school and being around black people and, you know, black girls was, What's loosening than a white girl in high school? Yeah, exactly. Middle school. Middle school. No. no so why is it is that looser. they get, yeah, what, why is it that they it's get this pass to be free mm-hmm. and, I, you know, giving head and, you know, they, they, they do way more than black women Exactly. Do. Because we were in mammy training and part yeah. of that was yeah. cover do up. That. You don't do that. Right. You do not get talk about oral sex. Yeah, oral sex. Yeah, um, and that's a form of what Ebony's t- Ebony's talking about rebelling. We were yeah. rebelling against because this is what y'all think we are, but we're actually not. That's what y'all are. Right. Yeah, you know, to I'm a point not, where yeah. we can't even truly express ourselves sexuality. Yeah. So, like, it took a while for me to be comfortable with. Yes. Even thinking about uh, oral sex. So let's talk about like people who are comfortable in their sexuality. Who kind of represent us today as black women? Cardi B. Um, Meg the Stallion, uh, the City Girls. So, when you say comfortable it's, in their sexuality, a, yeah. do you just mean uh, publicly? Because yeah, because their I form mean, of expression is a little bit toxic to me. Yeah, yeah I agree. Like, yeah. I think it could be positive ways that yeah. you can be uh, comfortable with your sexuality. Like, I don't have to come out and show you everything that I do yeah. sexually, but you know, with my mate, I feel like more like right. comfortable especially yes. with uh young minds let's talk about that because i feel like a lot of i find myself in coaching high school girls saying all the time like that's not real mm-hmm. right you don't walk around city girl in Cardi yeah. being that's her job right okay but they carry that with them every day but i feel like that's our responsibility though because if you mm-hmm. think about it now i'm a generation probably one i don't know if i'm a complete generation of y'all but i'm probably 10 year difference between us and me and you guys so i grew up with two short uh lil kim yeah. uh you know the two live crew luke uh yeah, luther campbell now. you know what i'm saying come on, come on. Mm-hmm. so i grew up with very vulgar music yeah. nwa you know i grew up when rap was came out mm-hmm. so I didn't, I, when I saw Little Kim, I bumped Little Kim music hard. I was a huge Little Kim fan. I used to be scared of the dick. Now I throw <laughs> lips to the shit. Handle it like a real bitch. Oh. Heather Hunter, Janet Jack me, take it in the butt. Yes, ass, what? Okay. Like, I was that Little Kim. Okay, so let me just say, but I knew that that was Little Kim's, that was, that was rap. That was an image. I'm not out here thinking I'm Little Kim. 
I think that has something to do with my rearing. And I think part of it, too, is nothing's changed, guys. Yeah. Like, these kids are listening to Meg and, and the city girls and all that. But it's up to us as adults and women to define to them. I like the city girls, too. I bump to them. But keep in mind, baby girl, that, those are skills that they're using in that way for them to financially live well right. to you know this is their business this is their brand they ain't out here city girl every day like right. that you well, know i think the difference is that in your and in ours you didn't have that much access accessibility to see mm-hmm. that every single day true. you had to wait true, true. until it was on the videos on either mtv bet and in certain of them they didn't play into the nighttime mm-hmm. you know exactly yeah and in some homes you weren't up to see it you had to see y'all ain't had cable it was a lot of work to see um, inappropriate stuff. You had yeah. to work really, really hard and risk getting caught and getting chewed out. And then there was a shame factor too. You, you know, you don't want mama to catch you watching. She, you didn't even want them to know you had interest yet in anything sexual or explicit. Right. Um, and they don't have that same feeling now. They don't care if you. Uh, they don't. No. And I'm not, and I don't, and I don't mind it. I'm, I personally don't mind it. I don't mind us owning our sexuality. As a matter of fact, I talk very explicit with my daughter, not in a, you know, my daughter's 20 years old now. I have deep conversations with her about, you know, have you had an orgasm? You know, mm-hmm. I want to know. Like, it's you important. Know. It's I, important. We, we have kids. My daughter will be 19 next, next week. Yeah. You have to, I, I, who was I just talking about that to you? Well, she told her daughter about what date she was accepting, like yeah, what, what she was what, accepting what kind of as date a date. She was accepting. And I led with, when she got ready to start dating, you know, I thought she was about to have sex or talking to guys. I'm like, Hey, let me, let me first, let me hit you to the game of about them. Gonna, they're going to ask you about putting that tip in there. They're going to ask you about the tip. <laughs> let me put the head in. Let me just put the head in. I said, just know after the head is the whole dick because they're going to, well, I'm already in there. I might as well. Mm-hmm. I said, so that line ain't going to work with you because mm-hmm. I'm already telling you. They're going to ask you to put Real the talk. Head. If you're not doing that with your daughters, you're setting them up for failure. Yeah. And I'm just going to put, as the, as the city girls say, period. period. <laughs> I'm going to add that period to that. Okay, <laughs> let's move on. So in closing, Dr. Patricia, how do we respond to these stereotypes in the various environments that we find ourselves in as black women? What do we do? So I think, you know, the first step is probably getting really clear with yourself about the stereotypes and, um, you know, the way that you want to appear authentically. I think that's really important. Um, You know, practically in the workplace, it's not like someone's necessarily going to be talking about a stereotype or if you were to, you know, define something in terms of a stereotype. I don't know that most people would really resonate with that Mm -hmm. but I think really it just comes down to the behaviors and so for example if you're getting put in a position where you're always taking the notes or something like that it could be even just pointing it out like oh I notice I'm the one who's taking the notes all the time maybe we should do a rotation of it so it's you know more evenly distributed you know, like being very specific, I think, about the behaviors, um, just because I think that a lot of the stereotypes are so unconscious that if you were to call it out and say, well, I'm not the angry black woman, um, it might not be as effective in the moment as just saying, you know, I have a right to the way that I'm feeling right now. And this is why I want to convey however I'm feeling, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but I would probably keep it more tied to the behaviors themselves than trying to pull it back into a stereotype if you're trying to talk about it with people. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because I guess, you know, my thought is there's going to be somebody who's listening to this, who is the person that's always having to go get the coffee. How do I navigate myself out of this so that I'm not, you know, or even saying like, I'm not sure if you're aware like giving the person some benefit of the doubt even I don't know if you've noticed but I'm always the one who gets called to do the coffee and I'm not sure why because that's not really more of my job than anyone else's um you know and then create a solution like could we have a rotation of doing the coffee because it seems like it's not really fair a lot of this I think has to do with again getting really clear on what you want Mm. And I think that a lot of us are making the choice that we want to live more authentically and be more assertive and maybe not just bite our tongues all the time. Yes. And that that going outside of our comfort zones in that way uh, feels more, I guess, aligned with who we want to be. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that's a piece of it, too. I mean, yeah, there could be risk involved in doing that, but if it's for the purpose of living a life that's true to yourself and how you want to be, then that's probably a risk worth taking. So ladies, black women stereotypes, are we good? We will definitely be having more conversation with the Queens queen group of Houston. Oh yeah. Cause there's so much more for us to talk about. Definitely, So much more for us to talk about. So this is Sharonda Reeves and I am with the queen group of Houston and we are closing this conversation on black women and stereotypes. And we'll be right back with these three things. If you want to find more information about this episode and my guest, go to www.these3-things.com. Go to our podcast page and click on this episode. Hey, queens, kings, and good people. I am Sharana Reeves. You are listening to These Three Things, and I am back with the queens of Houston, Judy, Ebony, and Tamika, with executive coach, Dr. Patricia Thompson. And it is time for These Three Things. Number one, two, and three, you are not a stereotype. Queen, you can't be typed. You are the hype. You are what's right and the answer to everything wrong. And Queen, you are strong and sometimes angry too. But those two adjectives can hardly define you, decide you, or try you. Your essence is powerful, your aura whole and unique. Be you thick and stout or slim and petite. Be you caramel or chocolate. Honey, both are sweet. Take what you need to be at your best. Only you own you. So don't fall for that mess, that stress, or that test. But by all means, please express yourself by sporting your natural crown. Or go ahead, girl, and let that weave touch the ground. Wear that red lip. And yes, they watching you walk because they know you stacked. What you were born with naturally 
people paying for that? Living paycheck to paycheck or stacked with degrees, working your way up or the boss, please show respect. They've thrown everything at us and it ain't stopped us yet. Queen, I want to make sure you get the reason why they tried to hide your royal history was to bet that you would forget that you came from royalty. Child, everybody knows we are the hype. You are not a stereotype. That's it for this episode of These Three Things Podcast, Black Women and Stereotypes, Part 2, with the Queens of Houston, Judy, Ebony, and Tamika, with executive coach, Dr. Patricia Thompson. Please join me Thursday, August 5th, on Instagram Live with the Queens of Houston, Judy, Ebony, and Tamika. All four of us will be live on Instagram at These Three Things Podcast discussing the stereotypes in this episode. We've invited some guys to come and join us for this live so that we can discuss in more detail the Jezebel stereotype. We feel it's a conversation that needs to be had more in our community and culture, and we want to talk about it. Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern, Instagram Live at These Three Things Podcast with the Queens of Houston and me, Sharana Reeves, and These Three Things Podcast. We'll see you Thursday and join me next week for a new episode of These Three Things Podcast.